being a single mom myself and having raised my own kids mm. from very little, we kind of get lost. I, I find that we kind of get lost in the what what is the definition of success as Muslim women, and we kind of get lost in the narrative, like what it looks like for other people outside our culture what it looks like to be successful whereas islam has the religion islam has made it so easy for women to feel enough mm, without having that. to just paddle 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 and it's and compare and um their own journey to others and just keep on struggling and you know to be to feel enough and I feel like everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own story. Assalamu alaikum. Hello. This is Your Truth is Calling podcast. I'm your host, Nadira Razak. I am a wife, a mother, a seeker, and a life and business coach. This podcast is about tuning in to that small, quiet voice within that urges you to really follow your soul's calling. And this podcast aims to bring you solo episodes and interviews with other special humans who have followed this calling, no matter how out of the box it may have been. We'll share stories about how God's grace is working through their lives and how they had the courage to really put one foot in front of the other and build a life that is fulfilling, meaningful, and filled with a sense of play and wonder. I started this podcast because I was at a point in my life where I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve as a coach, yet something still felt missing. I knew I wanted to feel utterly and truly alive and connected to other beautiful human beings. This podcast helps you navigate this quest where you feel like you've arrived and now there's a whisper that this isn't it. There's chaos again and you have to start over. So this is about new beginnings, pivots, and finding those breadcrumbs of delight and surprise along life's journey. And I hope that you will tune in, whether it's on your walk on your drives, going to the gym, however it is that you listen to this podcast. I hope it sparks something in you so that you get the courage to just go for your dreams, to trust those moments of insight and alignment so you can take action on the things that matter to you. I hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and keep in touch with me about the things that are on your heart so we can have a conversation about navigating this beautiful thing called being a human. Assalamu alaikum and welcome everybody to the Your Truth is Calling podcast. I'm so excited today to be joined by my guest, Sister Faiza Yunus. I'm going to introduce her formally um, with her bio and then I'm going to let you know how we met and why I invited her on the podcast today. I'm so excited for you to meet her. So Pfizer has been in the mental health industry for almost 20 years. She has worked in various roles in the community services sector, as well as positions such as a mental health trainer and mindset coach. She has also been a part of the Partners in Recovery program and worked as a specialist mental health support coordinator within the NDIS. Um, For those of you who are not Australian listeners, um, NDIS stands for the National Disability Incentive Scheme. She has had her own counseling practice, QSpace Counseling, for the past five years, and previously ran a coaching and training business for 10 years. Mashallah, Sister Faiza. Sister Faiza mainly specializes working with women who have gone through trauma in the past, such as domestic abuse, grief and loss, or difficult life transitions such as divorce or separation. 
Pfizer brings in a holistic and trauma-informed approach to her practice, along with extensive experience within the mental health and community services sector. When not counseling, Pfizer is a mum of two adult children and two fur babies. She's also a visual artist and loves to paint and visit galleries around Victoria during her spare time. She has sold her work inter- internationally and within Australia and continues to grow her art practice, Pfizer Art Space while practicing as a counselor. Mashallah, Sister Pfizer. I did not know that, like, to me, I thought your art was a hobby. I didn't know you were selling them internationally. I can't wait to get into that as well. SubhanAllah, Jazakallah Khair for being here. I know that we had to kind of go into our schedules to find a space that worked for you and I, and I'm just so grateful that you could be here today. So welcome to the Your Truth is Calling podcast. Thank you. Alhamdulillah. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) And I think, so I want to tell listeners where I first met you. So I was basically volunteering at an event where Sister Faisa actually graduated as a Good Beginnings marriage mentor, where couples could come if they were either deciding that they want to get married or couples in their early uh, married years. I think if they were, if they were married yes. like six years and under, right? Yeah. Um, they could now approach marriage counselors to do a course, but they're also handheld by a mentor. And I happened to be on door duty. So I got to greet people walking in and Sister Pfizer, like we hadn't even met before, but she just had <laughs> such a warm presence and gave me this beautiful <laughs> hug. And then later on, I was like, I need to meet this lady. Like, I need to, like, you know, have a chat with her, have like a virtual coffee. So we did that. And just the, subhanAllah, the amount of depth that this woman has, like, you, you can seem like really maybe introverted or quiet, but there's so much underneath that. And I feel like I just wanted other women and other people who are drawn to this conversation to be able to hear the wisdom that you had. And I feel like you just need to sit here and we can talk all day <laughs> and just bring out this wisdom so the world can hear it. So inshallah, that is my intention with this conversation. And also, wow, Sister <laughs> I know. And I, I was like, you know, because I'm brown, you know, Sri Lankan born. Um, I learned that Sister Faiza is Fijian, of Fijian Indian background, but you actually grew up in New Zealand. <laughs> I found that out at the end of our chat. So yes. maybe we'll start there. Just what was it like growing up? Um, you know, with your cultural background, but growing up in New Zealand, what was what were your early days like before we kind of delve into your professional and professional mm. life and how you got into that? Talk um, about that. So, um, yeah, I I grew up in New Zealand. I've had all my schooling in New Zealand. Um, it, New Zealand has an interesting, very close knit brown communities <laughs> grew uh, grew up there um i've been in australia for almost um i think 18 years mm-hmm. so it's been a while <laughs> um i had my both of my children in new zealand i got married in new zealand so yeah it was um it was interesting growing as a brown person, um, but New Zealand is uh, it's very it, it's very similar to Australia, but it's a little bit different from Australia. It's a little bit more um, has a little bit more um, inclusive environment, mm. but um, 
Yeah, it's it's and it's it so was funny, a- right? With things like words like that, it's so hard to sometimes quantify because it's a feeling. It's often yeah. a feeling that we're going by. Like we wonder why in some spaces we feel really welcome and that yeah. our voice yeah, is yeah. exactly the same as everybody else's. And then in some yeah. spaces we kind of don't get that feeling. And it's kind yeah. of hard to pinpoint why we feel like that in certain yeah. spaces. Yeah. Could you talk about just from your experience, what allows you to feel like you have an equal footing with other people in a room because that sometimes you know affects us especially yeah. for grown up like for me I, I came to Australia when I was 18 and I probably mm. didn't even experience um maybe I was just not accustomed to it until conversations came up much later in life that actually we're not all the same but and you might have been experiencing these things but I've obviously had a wall and I couldn't even see it that it was happening. Could you talk about yeah. what makes certain spaces more inclusive than others, perhaps, so that maybe we have some awareness around it when we go into set different settings? Sure, sure. So um I started wearing the hijab pre-September eleventh. Mm-hmm. So I was already, you know, wearing my hijab and so and it it was in New Zealand. I was, I think I was about 21 when I started wearing hijab. And uh, um, so it didn't, the transition wasn't as like um, confronting in New Zealand until um, I started doing job interviews. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, speaking on the phone, everything's good until you turn up. Wow. And you can see people. That's when I became aware, oh, there's a difference. Because growing up in school, um, it was just like because I wasn't wearing my, wearing my hijab and during my school time. So it, it was just normal. So, um, so, and then it wasn't as bad, but people were not used to someone covered mm. um uh, coming for an interview for a job and do you remember so, what jobs you were applying for when you were in your early 20s what were because because uh, i'm interested in ad- always going what yeah did we do just when admin jobs you no know, until i got into community services and uh i've worked as like very very first job i was a receptionist <laughs> So front-facing, uh, so everybody yeah. would know that that's who you are. the hijab, wearing the hijab. Um, yeah, and I, I did um, get a job as a receptionist. But when I came to Australia, it was a little bit much, m- more confronting than wearing hijab, a hijab and going for jobs. Do you think it was because um, the pool was, was larger? This, like New Zealand feels smaller than coming. Like you, you came to yeah, Melbourne, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it was because yeah, it was a yeah. larger community that you were um, competing with? Yeah, and, and and a different culture. Like, right. it, yeah, it's just a little bit of a different culture. Yeah, it. it I became a little bit more aware of myself and while wearing hijab, a little mm. bit more um conscious yes about your actions your words yeah. how you're being perceived yes it's like you're being yes. watched <laughs> yeah 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 you better not make a wrong yeah. move or yeah yes it, everything's yes. amplified 
Exactly. And how did you know you wanted to get into social work? Like if your first jobs were like just dabbling into, I'll just get any job. How did you know you wanted to get into like the community services? I kind of, did it come naturally or? I kind of fell into it. I kind of fell into it. Um, I started, uh, you know, off as a as a coach. So I went in very, very beginning when coaching wasn't a thing. <laughs> I think we have Never similar stories. Coaching was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did an ICF course um became a um a trained life coach and then um after a while and then i i had gotten divorced so i was a single mom and then um so i wanted the flexibility of being around my children mm-hmm. and also being able to obviously earn a living so i kind of went on my own I need to break this story down now. You're going to have to tell us how you even, like, how did the word, like, you can become a life coach. Like, how did that even come into your awareness? Did you get an email in your inbox? And at the same time, were you looking for an opportunity that got you that flexibility or how did it come yeah, yeah I was life. always I was always looking for uh, before that I was uh, in the um, tertiary sector as you know within the back end like mm-hmm. admin admin um um uh, course management type of mm-hmm. work and uh, um so I was looking for something that won't buy buy me into nine to five jobs so right. I could be around my children more. So I was looking and I was looking to improve myself and yes. study further and, you know, as you do. And, uh, yeah, so I came across coaching and I thought, oh, maybe I'll give this a try. It was, you know, interesting and, uh, um, yeah, I just thought I'll give it a try. And, and did, did you ask anybody, it. like, were you seeking any external validation before you went for it and said, I'm going to learn this. Did you ask your parents or was it your ex-husband at the time? Like, did you ask anybody outside of yourself or did you just sign up when you saw the the offer in front of you? Here's the the thing with me. I kind of go into my own little, wherever I want to go by my own intuition. Intuition. I love this because I love talking about women's wisdom. Like how do we reach decisions like major life-changing decisions or like there was yeah. the you before you became a coach there was the you after how did you yeah how did your heart lead you there you know yeah yeah you didn't um, ask anybody yeah, you yeah. So, so um yeah I I was just following my uh, intuition like I've always been able to connect with people wherever I've been people have I'm very very introverted person but people some for some reason since I was very young shared the deepest darkest secrets (laughs) with you yeah I think we just see you as a safe place and I think you you emanate that even if you're completely unconscious (laughs) and we're like a magnet of like oh this woman like I can trust her you know, and that's a huge deal for your profession, right? Like, yeah, that to be able to trust you with things that sometimes we can't even handle ourselves, but we know yeah. that we don't have to take care of you because you're taking yeah. care of it. Whereas if yeah. you had to tell something really difficult to someone that's close to us that maybe involved them or didn't, we're still trying to take care of them as we're trying to tell them the story. 
Whereas when yeah. you go to a professional like you, we don't have to worry about that, right? Because you're yeah. in that yeah. sense. Yeah. You're taking care of that and we don't have to worry about now taking care of you in the process of trying yeah. to shed this or trying to make sense of something difficult. Yeah, yeah. So you did kind of coaching and then. Uh, so, sorry, I've, no, um, okay. I've kind of had this ability, this uncanny ability, I think, from the beginning. I don't know. Mm. It just comes naturally to me where I don't get sucked in into other people's story, but mm. I am able to hold my own space and hold a space for the other person. Yes. And, uh, um, you know, like sometimes when someone tells you something, it you can't help. Like I've I've seen people do this, they can't, they can't help associate themselves in their the other person's story. Mm-hmm. So I um I've had this ability to always be able to have my own space and have hold the other person's mm. space. So I think, and you know, even like when I wasn't in community services and counseling, it was always like that for me mm. because um, I, I think people just <laughs> like to share their information with me. <laughs> and I think it's it's probably telling like how much we can hold, like we hold it mm. in and hold it in and then finally they probably connect with someone like you, whether it's in a professional mm. setting or outside yeah. and then they feel like, I think I can let down my burden here. And I think people need yeah. to hear that, like, as humans, we're not meant to carry everything. It's like, God is actually holding you in our professions. Yes. Where it's like, God just chose this particular person to be with you as you're processing this pain, because it's very yeah. hard to do by yourself, but you don't, I mean, you kind of have to go through it by yourself, but you don't have to do it alone because you have this yeah. person with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So talk yeah. to us about maybe some of the things you've learned just through the years from your practice that have stood out in terms of, I've so- seen some of your socials, you've posted stuff about um, not being in a hurry, you know, like, and we had a conversation where we met for a virtual coffee where you said something like, it feels like, say, we're connecting as two brown people, but we feel like at some point in history, it's like the brown woman was told, this is what you're meant to go after. This is your picture of success. And then we were trying to get there in this mighty hurry, like <laughs> we're going to run out of time or run out of steam and we better get there before other people get there or something. And how that's really affected us as women and as humans. Could you maybe unpack that for us, Sister Faiza, whether it's from a historical, cultural perspective or what you've seen in your practice of why we feel like everyone's in a rush to get somewhere and how that's impacting us mentally and physically even. I know that was a yeah. loaded question. That was a lot there, but just it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> get there in whichever way you feel guided to. Well, um, I, some of it is my own lived experience, mm. having had, having worked most of my life for myself. Well, most of my, you know, community in the mental health sector, and also um, working with other people and being a single mom myself and having raised my own kids Mm. from very little, we kind of get lost. I I find that we kind of get lost in the what, what is the definition of success as Muslim women. Yes. Yeah, and uh, 
we kind of get lost in the narrative, like what it looks like for other people outside our culture, what it looks like to be successful, whereas um, Islam has, like the religion Islam has made it so easy for women to feel enough Mm, without having to just paddle, 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 paddle. And uh, um, it's uh, and compare and um, their own journey to others and just keep on struggling and, you know, to be, to feel enough. And I feel like um, everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own story. And one of the very first thing I learned as a coach, actually, when I started my own coaching business was that you have to look at realistically who's who have you got on your team mm. and who is supporting you. So when I graduated from my coaching course, everybody was like, it was just such a new thing. And um, there were people like, all of a sudden, within a few months, going international. Mm. There were like there were some people that going like doing selling out like uh, training shows all over Australia, and um, I learned very quickly that I could not do that because I was a single mom and I had to, I didn't have a lot of support, mm. so I had to do it at my own pace and that was my definition of success is like what who have I got on my team what are the resources I've got on mm. with me and with that team and with that resource how far can I go not with somebody who's got a lot more um heavier team mm. a lot more probably generational wealth yes and a lot more um support that mm. I had and where they were going, it was very unfair for me to compare myself. Yeah. Because you'd feel like a failure <laughs> and you haven't even started yet. You're watching all of this success from your peers. And it's yes. easy to compare and easy to feel like less than. Yeah. But yeah. that, and I, so yeah. did you get, so that question occurred to you from your coaching itself, like who is on your team? Was that the question yes. you were asking yes. yourself? Yes, yes. How did you answer that? Like, did you say, oh, did you like say, did who, how did you answer that? Like, did you go, okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is on my team. Like, how did you even yeah, tell us absolutely, how you answered that? <laughs> absolutely. So it's like, you know, um, counting everything from like, even as an individual, I, in, with my clients, I even asked them, who is on your team? Like that. Is your doctor on your team? Mm-hmm. Is your massage therapist on your team? Mm-hmm. Is your therapist on your team? Mm-hmm. You know, um, is your husband on your team? Is your f- best friend on your team? So you get to consider, like, is your family on your team? Is your, mm-hmm. your sister or brother or whoever it is mm-hmm. you can count on? Are they on your team? And how big is your team? 
I love that because I don't think we stop to ask ourselves that when we're in the middle of chaos or things are blowing up around us. We forget that, hang on, look at who's already there. And it's like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, like, you know, if you're grateful, I will give you more. I guess you'll see more opportunities to be grateful when you say, actually, this. they might never tell me uh, out loud, hey, we're supporting you, Faisal, or we're supporting you, Nadara. But maybe they want the best for you. It's just maybe in our cultures as well, we don't tell each other up front, hey, look me in the eye. I am so proud of you. Do you know that? Like, you know, we don't get that validation sometimes. We can forget that we actually do have some support in the wings. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And also validating that question. Yeah, and also it helps you adjust how good enough you feel about what you're doing like you don't have to um, compare other people's journey because they have a different journey and they're different sort of uh gauge of success Mm. whereas I have a different gauge of success so I have to measure myself with myself my past version of myself rather than feel like that's something that you have to calibrate clients to every time they come to you and mentally they're not doing too well you have to keep calibrating them to look at how far you've come or I mean there's pain obviously when they're reaching out to you especially in the social work aspect I'm sure like I remember you telling me in our conversation the kind of clients you come across some of them might be in a deep dire financial situation that they might be sleeping in their car they haven't got a roof over their head how do you how do you counsel someone when you know things have come to that I mean I think we can live in a bubble as well we forget that things can reach crisis point like that. And then there's still help available, right? Somehow they're still connected to a counselor because this, yeah. this in a systemic way, there's some support that's helping them get connected to you to get their head on straight yeah. again, to take baby steps, yeah. to lift them out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you share just from your experience, what's helped clients and maybe yeah, how um, you counsel people in crisis yeah, situations? Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's about connecting them to services available within mm. in the community, within the, um, so we are lucky to live in Australia where there are not-for-profit organisations that people can get connected to. Mm-hmm. And it's about, as a counsellor and as a community services worker, we kind of have that kind of knowledge where these organisations are and mm-hmm. we can get them, you know, a person living in a car, for example, we can get them connected to different resources to help themselves, but at the same time, empowering them Mm. to be able to help themselves out of that step-by-step, out of that situation. Mm. Um, And uh, so so just, again, my, um, I, the way I work is I don't, take on the job myself alone. I think of it as a team. Like who does this, how how many, what kind of resources this person needs? What kind of team does this person needs to be surrounded by? And Mm. I'm all about like, as even as a counselor, I'm all about referral, referral, referral. Because I am only one person Mm. and uh, I can do a part of the job. in this person's life but there's all about it's about how do we surround this person with other supports so this person can be lifted up Mm. into a a position and 
that's that's the way I work. I can feel the love in that, like this whole village of people waiting in the wings and you are like this midwife <laughs> getting the right people on board, almost project managing in a way, thinking of this person's holistic like what's going to allow this person to flourish eventually. I'm not the yeah. only one there, you know, you physically need, have needs. You have sometimes physically need money in the bank to be able to yeah. do stuff, yeah. get groceries, yeah. whatever that is, and get out of a sticky situation. Yeah. The funny thing is about us being as a human being, mm. we might be in dire straits, but connection is mm. so important. Sometimes just one or two connections can lift a person up and you don't know who this person connects with. Mm-hmm. Svanatala has this beautiful way of connecting people to the right resources, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we just we just need to get this person connected to lots of people and they might find one or two connections that really works well yeah. and they can go on their on the journey so do you find that ego plays a part in sometimes even if someone's in a difficult place um say maybe one thing could be they just don't know where to get help you know maybe they're asking a friend where do I go and the friend might you know say don't get get in touch with a therapist or a counselor to you know try and get you on your way but do you find that um if someone's say not in like complete crisis mode but close, like there's something brewing that's toxic or not healthy for them. Do you find that there's a level of ego that can mask a a person's pain and then they're a bit ashamed to reach for help because they don't want to quite see? Do you find that playing out at all? Or by the time clients reach you, there's been that mask removal and a staring reality in the face going, I have no ego here. I I surrender. God, like bring me mm. the help, you know? Have you found mm. clients or anyone being resistant at all to getting I don't the help? Think, I don't think I can judge a person about the ego, but mm. I, I can, I do see that where they come from, what their belief system is, where, um, the, what kind of education they've had, what kind of exposure they've had mm-hmm. in regards to mental health as to being susceptible to seeking help in, you know, seeking therapy. Can you say more about that? I feel like there's more there. Like, do you mean that if in their uh, family environment, they're not used to talking about getting external help, if it doesn't come up in conversation, they'll probably never reach out and feel like that's an option for them. They'll probably just talk to a friend or something. Yeah. Not a professional. But if their family history is something where it's cultural. Yeah. Yeah. Cultural. Yeah. Yeah, it can be very cultural and it can be like how much exposure this ha- person has had in regards to what counseling can do for you. Mm. you no, know, um, what is counseling? A lot of people ask me, um, about, uh, like, oh, what is counseling? Can you what, share? What does it do? Maybe that'll help our listeners. If you've never actually yeah. reached out and got a session, you're kind of judging from the outside this concept, right? And you're mentally trying to yeah. understand it, but you've never experienced it. So could you maybe share yeah, yeah. a little bit it, about like if we were a fly in the wall in one of your sessions, maybe yeah. give, give us a taste <laughs> maybe of how someone can be led in a session, for example, I, that helps okay. get close so, to this <laughs> way of getting help. Yeah. Um, Counselling has been around for 
for about 40 years, I think, or more. It stems from actually the religious sector, you know, mm-hmm. and then it became a professional profession where pastors were in the in the Christian environment, the pastors were the kind of like counsellors, as like our sheikhs uh, mm. kind of like people go to their elders to, to seek, seek advice. advice and mm. help. So it comes from that sort of thread in history. But counsellors are a little bit different from psychologists. Usually, most of the time, counsellors usually come from um, lived experience and people go uh, have a lived experience and they go, get curious and they mm. go study counselling. And uh, it's, it's a helping profession. Mm. So it's understanding a person's mental health or struggles. It doesn't diagnose. We're not psychologists. Mm-hmm. So we don't diagnose mental health, but we um, we can help with mental health. So if you're going through a grief or, or loss, mm-hmm. loss can be losing a house or mm-hmm. losing a spouse or losing a child uh, and going mm-hmm. through grief over losing a, a career we can yes. work with you in that or um i mostly i work a lot with women who you know either post divorce mm. or are in struggling in a in a marriage or um and i work with younger women who are sort of trying to juggle career and society's expectations and all sorts of like depression and anxiety and you know sometimes um struggling with uh, um, food you know dieting and and also like (laughs) exhaustion Mm, because burnout Mm. it's just uh, um it's very common now because we are struggling to, to be everything yes we've taken that on not that it's almost like we think that's what we're supposed to do we haven't paused to figure out is this really what I want like is this what success is and you know yeah all of those things and does someone have to go to a GP to get a referral to come see a counselor or can they contact you directly? Yeah. So we're, we don't come un- under Medicare, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a you direct don't relationship. Need to get a, you reach out yeah. and book a session. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. So just, you can book it directly. Yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you so much for sharing that piece. And I want to get into a little bit about how you, you know, with your art, and that side of you as your persona, how did you kind of like, how did that come into your life? Was it something that you did once you, you know, had gone through divorce and stuff like that, you needed an outlet or did it come much later in life when your kids had grown? How did the art find you or how did you find your art? Because <laughs> that feels like a huge part of your, like when I look at you, it's like it, it feeds you. There's some part yeah. of your well-being that it really touches you and then you also get to share it with the world yeah. through yeah. being able to get it into other people's homes and their spaces. So tell us more yeah. about that. How you- I've always been an artist since I was very young. I, I When I was very young in, in, in school, I used to win awards in oh art. Oh, my goodness. 
yes, so you're recognized for it yeah. externally uh, too. But well. as you get as ha- life happens, you get married, you get <laughs> busy having children, and you know, it'll just life gets in the way. And I kind of let go, mm-hmm. and then uh, I picked it up about six years ago, five, six years ago, slowly, slowly. Um, I kind of, I have my own therapist mm-hmm. seeing my own therapist. It's part of my maintenance. It's yeah. part of something I, okay. I um, have as part of my team, mm. you know, my own team. And just going through, uh, you know, my own stuff, I just started being curious, like, well, I wonder what it will be like to get into art again. Yeah. And uh, one day I just um, bought a, an easel and some supplies and <laughs> yeah. just started doing it. And then over time I started putting it on Instagram and then people started asking me, Are these oh, for sale? The seller? Oh, so they said, could I buy this? And did, yes. Is that how it came? So you literally yes. just shared the love. Yeah. You shared, you didn't keep it to yourself in your little studio at home. You actually put it out so people could, it was visible, right? Yeah. And this is how yeah. you're found, right? Yeah. And and I can, I found it that um, it was a really great outlet for me where I could get lost and uh, because the kind of work I have, it's very headspace. Mm-hmm. So with my art, I don't, it's very Heart space. Yes. Yeah. So I just like, I can lose a whole day just doing art. I wish I could just do it. Like- <laughs> and how did you, because see, this is, um, this is something that people deal with, right? Sometimes you're wondering, is this purely for me or can, do you want to monetize this? So you had this little, like people giving you signals that they actually want to buy it. So how did you decide? I know this is really sticky sometimes. How did you decide on how to price these pieces? Because they're coming from your heart. How did you find that space in you to go, okay, now I have to put a figure on this. Was that awkward? I still find it very difficult. <laughs> I yeah, still, I'd you know, imagine. I get told, I, I get told off by my, my, my <laughs> kids because I just, when somebody really likes it, I, I want to go here, you can have just take it. it. Keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Feast and be a little low. <laughs> but I get reminded by my kids like, Mom, you're selling it internationally. You can't just go and just give it to people. I got to pay the postage. <laughs> so how did you go through that process? Do you like pray about it going, okay, I spent this much time on this piece. Like how did that even occur to you? Did you have to go research or what do other people, how did you come up with it? Or you just tuned into your heart and went, that's the price. Okay. So I have a little bit of knowledge from, of the art world and mm-hmm. like, well, what what things how how you can price things because I used to be an art student like right yeah so I did you did it did you do that in university or like you not in college in in just okay yeah um so I have that but I'm always following my intuition again yeah I do. I don't look at other artists and what they're doing. I just do whatever I. It, You're it, staying in it's your lane. It's something that needs to come out of me. 
Yeah. Like when I have a vision in my head, I just go for it and it just has to come out of me. If it doesn't, I it just like it's like it's something stuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get it out. Yeah. So does so, it it like do you find that for inspiration as to what to paint? Does that just come to you as an image and you follow it or do you see something external like you'll see a photo in a magazine and that'll spark something and you go, ooh, yeah. I want to follow that. How does it happen for you? What's your creative yeah, process? It, it's a combination. It's a combination. Maybe it's, sometimes it's like a song or a, mm. a conversation or oh, wow. an image or just it sometimes if it's, it's a dream, you know. <sighs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I love uh, – I, um, I see it's really different perspective. I see – the world in shapes and colors it's mm. so um i'll see a bunny shape or a, a color combination and go oh that would be like good to put with this and then i'll just right. create so you're this. doing these can it's connecting inside of you yeah. somehow and then you need to see it in physical yeah. form yeah yeah and canvas. the process is what's the most important mm. for me like not I the outcome the not the process. final result yeah, yeah, and I always um, – so I get to a point where I hate it mm. and then I get to love it. <laughs> so you've done something and you're not happy with it and you know it needs to be something else and that struggle That's the messy middle. That's yes. the messy middle. And it's very, very relevant It's uh, to life mm. itself. Like when you start a journey – it get excited and you have this vision and yes. then you get to the messy middle where you hate it. Yes, that's true. And Frustrating. Then, it's like, yeah. why did I do this? Oh, can't yeah. believe it's this hard. Yeah. All yeah. those voices. Exactly. Exactly. And if you persevere, sometimes you persevere. Sometimes it w- you, have, you have to be wise enough to go, okay, this is not going to work. And walk away. And walk yes. away. That's a lesson in itself. That's that's, that's where wisdom comes in, right? Your yeah, own internal wisdom yeah, and getting yeah, a support yeah. team to help you yeah. figure that out. It's like, is yeah. it time to leave? Yeah, is it time yeah. to quit? Or am I yeah. meant to push through? It's yeah, just a blip. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the it's just following that process, figuring it out, problem solving, you know, and that's the fun in it. That's that's yeah. what I find. And Funny. and that's the thing. I think what I love is like your results are always with Allah. Like exactly. you can't decide whether someone's going to buy the thing or not, but that doesn't mean that you should only do things because like there's a guaranteed result. Like sometimes you might paint something and it may never sell because it was never meant to be. It was meant to be in your home. You Funny would, thing. It was just about the process maybe, you know? So can you share a yeah. story or two where you've seen Funny that thing is like some of my – some of my most favorite paintings never sold. Right. Because it's just for you. <laughs> yeah. Because it's perspective, isn't it? Right. So, so someone else, like you might see it as valuable and beautiful and then other people aren't seeing it. But th- does that mean that you suck? No. <laughs> it just means this particular, but they're not seeing what I'm seeing. And that's okay. It's, like, it's amazing. How do you deal with that? A little bit <laughs> egotistical, but I, I, I don't mean it in the egocentric way, but I really don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the part of surrender. Like you've let yeah. go and yeah. then it can be just purely 
it's so freeing to be in yeah, that space. Yeah, that where is the reason it's like I am, I, it's, it's, a, it's a side hustle, yeah. you know, it, it's something that um, like if it sells, it sells, if it doesn't, for yeah. me, it's like the process in painting is the, what really is the fun thing. Yeah. When it gets sold, I'm just so elated. Like it's the it's a best feeling ever. Like this yeah. painting has a home in, you know, yeah. somewhere. Someone's like, enjoying my art. It's yeah, lifting up yeah. their space. And I've had some beautiful feedback and it's lovely to connect with people who have yeah. purchased my art. But at the end of the day, that is not the main priority for me the mm-hmm. ma- main priority is the process yes and uh, finding little ways of solving and finding different techniques uh, um discovering different ways and sometimes mm-hmm. you know it's just that's that's enough i just the need growth. more space because <laughs> <laughs> you're collecting your own <laughs> pieces because my studio <laughs> is getting bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> Because I need more and more space. Well, inshallah, God willing, it expands so you have more space to putter around, drink your big cups of tea, and keep painting, chai and and painting. It's like, yes, I love my big cups. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. So are you. (laughs) So me. So, Kavitha, I could keep talking to you for another hour, but we're already at an hour. Can you believe it? Um, I just want to thank you for just gifting us your presence, your time and your wisdom, just sharing all these nuggets. I can't wait to do the show takeaways at the episode takeaways because I'll have so much fun going through our interview and picking out the best bits to highlight for people. But thank you for just showing us what it's like to be human what it's like to reach for help. And I think it's extraordinary that, you know, you've brought up your now adult children as a single mom. Um, You know, you've gone through that migration process, you know, coming from a culturally different background and, you know, wearing the hijab when you were younger, all of those experiences has obviously shaped you into who you are and you're able to give that to whoever is drawn into your world. I feel like Allah SWT just brings like the right clients and the right people, right, to get this perspective. And I loved how you talked about team. Like I've never heard people talk about like who's on your team. And really, I think our listeners, for them to ponder this question, if you're in a bit of a sticky situation or whatever, like you might think you're alone, but are you really? I think you're surrounded by people who may not have shown themselves to you or reveal themselves to you, but just to know even in our conversation today that they do exist, they are there and maybe sometimes you can acquire people on your team. Yes, (laughs) true. Yeah, like through connections or referrals or asking for help and then people going, have you thought of so-and-so? I need to put you in touch, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's that I think we forget sometimes that as humans, like we are social creatures and we're meant to be in community. And these other powers that, you know, are in society at the moment try to isolate us so that that narrative can keep going or whatever. But if we stick together and Mm. find these communities that uplift us and who give us energy, who, yeah, bring out the best in us without like feeling like we're invisible when we get into certain spaces, I think that's really important for our mental health and just for that that social well-being can give us so much more immunity, I think, than any vaccine or flu shot or anything. It makes us more resilient people. Um, But yeah, I just want to thank you. I've so enjoyed our conversation and I can't wait for 
our listeners to find you. We're going to put your Instagram handles for the two spaces, your Q space counseling plus your art. We'll put it in the show notes so people can click through and get connected to you. Jazaka Lafayette for coming on the Your Truth is Pod, um, Your Truth is Calling podcast. I meant to say Your Your Truth is podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sister Pfizer. You're most welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Your Truth is Calling podcast with Sister Pfizer Eunice. We talked about so many things about how connection is so important when you're going through a crisis or any sort of grief or anything where life is hard and you're human. You can, you know, make those difficult transitions with help in the wings and Approaching someone like her as a counselor who, because of her role, is connected to all of these referral services, she can get you in touch with the right people because it's not just herself. Um, There's a whole team needed sometimes to get you through difficult parts of life. And so I hope that if you need this or you know someone who needs help, that you will connect with someone like Sister Fiza. I will put her Instagram handle in the show notes so you can follow along. And Sister Faiza also talked about her art practice and how sometimes her favorite paintings never sold. And that kind of shows you, right? Your your results are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You cannot predict or guarantee success. It comes from Allah. So the part that you can control is the process. And so I loved how she talked about how much she loved the problem-solving process when it came to what colors mix together and, and she would see the world through shapes and color and how she brought that perspective to her art and she had background you know in college having studied art as well so she kind of knew how to go about pricing these pieces and you know just all of that journey that comes together when you are doing a creative endeavor and subhanallah she's doing this with her day job as a counselor right and she was also a coach 10 years prior to that and so it doesn't matter where you are in life you make pivots you make changes based on your own journey and your own story. It's never too late. And also to know that you're human. And I loved how she talked about how in Islam, we're given a framework as women to feel that we're enough. When we go and take in frameworks from the outside and think that we have some mountain to climb and some picture of success that the world has given us, we can lose our sense of what our priorities are right and so remember that as well if you love this episode you know share it with a friend tell me how these episodes are touching you and inshallah until next time assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu